Now, I wish this sermon tonight was more exciting than what it was, than what it is. I wish it would be maybe more spiritually challenging or stimulating. I wish it would be, uh, I wish it would have a little more of a revival ring to it than what it might seem to have. At the same time that I can make those apologies, I have to tell you that you won't hear any sermons this week that will be more important than this one. And this, what we hear tonight, will strike at the very root of the greatest problems we have in our churches and in our homes. There's no one who takes a truly biblical attitude towards this subject without seeing a revival in his heart, home, life, or congregation. I spoke this subject one time in my life before that I can recall. I was in the country of El Salvador. I was in a different language, not this one. For some reason or another, when I was thinking of these meetings here this week in this congregation, this, the title of, that I have written down here for this message and I came to my mind and I'd, I decided I ought to sit down and try to prepare a couple of thoughts for this evening on this subject. And so though it does not sound like the kind of thing that is going to shake the benches and make a lot of movement, I, I don't think there's anything that has a greater effect on your life and the effects that you have, the influence you have and I have wherever we are than what this subject has. And the... Uh, if you and I would get a hold of this, or we let God get a hold of us, and we decide we really want to do something about this in our life, we really must change what's going on here. We, we really need to make some serious adjustments. Then we're going to have to seek God with all of our heart. So, without any more explanations, we'll, we'll, we'll get started. Someone has said, preach whenever possible, and when necessary, use words. Now, I should have your attention by now. If I don't, I don't know what to do to get it. If you're not paying attention by this time, you're not going to pay attention the rest of the night. So there's a, just put, put your, put your uh, recline your seat a little bit and, and, and snooze until we get done. But I am intending for you to listen. I want you to understand what we're saying here. When necessary, use words to preach. Of course, we use words to communicate, but we do not always need to. In fact, much of what we actually transmit to others by our speech is not done with words at all. It is as true in speaking as it is in anything that we undertake to do that more important than what we do is the spirit with which we do it or more important than what we say is the spirit with which we say it. So what we have here, what we're talking about right now is, is the subjective part, the subjective aspects of communication of our speech. And those subjective parts do not relate to the words that we say at all, but they relate to other things that are communicating a message along with what we are saying. 
I'm not sure what the statistics say, but I do know that when you hear someone speaking to you or you're speaking to somebody else, less than 50% of what that person receives from your intention comes from the words you said. Over 50% comes from other things. I'll name some of those things for you. One of them would be the tone of your voice or body language or facial expressions or even the time and place that you chose to say what you said. If there was a problem that in your wife's supper this evening, if there was a little something that maybe should have been done slightly different that would have made some improvement, you might say the exact same thing after the company goes home and get through far better to your wife than saying it at the table while the company is still sitting there. The, the time and place when you chose to say those words had probably more meaning to her than the things you said. I'm sure in that case, a whole lot more. And so find another time to say it. Be thou my wisdom. Be thou my true word. It's more than the words we say that are important in communication. And the subject tonight is communication in the home. Busy with each other, talking to one another. Be careful when you say it. I should be careful when I say it. Nor can we, when we're speaking words, nor can we hide the voice of our feelings. A, a pause before an answer is quite different from a rapid fire retort. Though the words you said afterwards were exactly the same. You got that? Or if you pause a while and say, well, Daddy maybe ought to think about that a little before I say anything. And when you do speak then, you'll have your son's attention far better than if you just spoke otherwise. We're just looking at some of the things that make a difference in communication in the home. We can easily communicate when we're talking to each other, be it in the home, the church, or brother's meeting. We can easily communicate irritation, impatience. We readily communicate anger if that is there. And with that, we can communicate other, communicate other things. We can simply sound like this to the person listening to us. That we don't say these words at all. What they heard us say was this. I'm too busy to be bothered. Please leave me alone. Others can detect. If we condescend to them when we talk to them, or if we're sincerely trying to understand what they're saying, others can easily detect that. As you all know, love has a language all of its own. And then there's another interesting part about communication in the home, in the church, in the members meeting. And one very interesting way to communicate is by silence. 
And at times silence sends a very, very sweet message. A sweet message of peace and contentment and acceptance. And at other times, silence results in broken trust and is the language of rejection. I think many of you husbands, I trust you know how to do this. I don't know. You can practice right there sitting in the bench. You don't have to ask my permission to do it without saying a solitary word to your wife. If you're sitting beside her, you can reach over, take her by the hand, squeeze it about three times, and not say a solitary word. She got the message very, very clearly. She was very, very glad to, to, to sense that. She was very glad to get that from you. And that's, that's very sweet, and it's a reassuring, and it's a, it's a sign of acceptance. It's a, a sign that everything is well. There's peace between us. Everything's okay. Uh, there's other kinds of silence in times when silence means, uh, I'm sorry, but the, there's a wall here and, and there's nothing going to be said. And that's also, that's also very, very thick, you know, that's, that's thicker than 12-inch concrete. It happens in homes, you know, it happens a lot. Our general appearance also communicates without words. Our gest gestures help others to interpret what our words mean. Yet there's little that affects relationships in the home as much as what we daily communicate one to another in all the ways that we've just looked at. In one sense, the Bible that you carry with you tonight is a textbook on speech. If you read all this in there, especially in the Proverbs, if you read all this in there, book of James chapter five, chapter 3, if you read all that Jesus said about speech, Matthew chapter 12, if you read all that Jesus said in the Bible, all that's found in the Bible concerning the speech that we, that characterizes our life and it gives such a clear index into our true testimony and makes it very, very obvious to others what our walk with God is all about. If you'd study all the Bible says about speech, it is a very deep subject and the uh, references that you have to look up would be very, very many. It would take a long, long time. We'll touch so very few of them tonight. It's almost as if we're speaking about none of them because there are so many that speak about, that mention speech and how that should work in a Christian's life. And in every case, the speech that others hear from us, be it in any way that we get that across, words are not with words. It always reflects our character. It reflects who we are. We do not communicate without communicating something. Others find out what I'm truly like. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. Let your words be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know what to answer every man. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. That is to say, what we are comes out. Not only with the words, with those other expressions that so definitely interpret or help other people interpret what's going on within us. The tongue can, can incite war. At the same time, the tongue can turn away wrath. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can break my heart. 
Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. You're acquainted with all these phrases that you're hearing, these Bible verses. There are many such words in the Bible. By thy words shalt thou, thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Maybe you'd like to turn with me to Colossians chapter 3 to get us a little bit closer to our subject for the night. Colossians chapter 3, and this will, here we'll begin at verse 15, and we'll learn about words here. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. You can be thankful without words. Words are helpful in thanksgiving. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. That's communication. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, that's communication. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Wives, communicate to your husbands. Wives, communicate. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Sometimes it's easier to submit to other husbands. Verse 19 is communication in the home. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Where did that come from, that bitterness? There's communication in verse 20. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. There's communication in verse 21. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. I'd like to read a few more texts if you would open your Bible to Ephesians. That's not very far away. Chapter 4 and just verse 29 in this case. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. I wonder if that ever has become a goal, ever has become a, a motif, has ever become a, a standard, a spiritual standard for us. I think we do a pretty good job with doing that when we're invited to someone's house for a meal like I was just a, an hour and a half ago. I think we do a fairly good job ministering grace with our words, ministering grace with our communications. We have some way to transmit that message that we want grace and blessing to rest with the people that we're visiting there. We do fairly well in that meeting each other after church service. But it says here, ministering grace unto the hearers. That should be your wife. Or your husband. That should be your, ch your child, the naughty one, as well as the very obedient, the one who has done just a very good job today, and you're all excited about what they did, and they made you look good too when they did it. And if you're not careful, that wasn't grace you administered to them. That may have been something very, very far from grace and could take, that, take them further and further yet away from grace. When we have high words of lauding and appreciation and acceptance for the ones who do well, and some or another, the one that can't measure up, tags along and does not find that same confirmation. But I think what the Bible is telling us here is every time we open our mouths, every time we try to transmit some kind of message from our hearts to another, there should be grace along with that. And that's a tremendous challenge. That's a... That's a large assignment. 
And, and, and you say that, how do I give correction to an employee? And, and how do I straighten out in the classroom a child who is disobedient? What, and what do I do in the home with this naughty boy that we've worked with here? He's three years old, and this fellow's quite a problem. And, and the, the, the spankings come pretty often. And I'm supposed to minister grace to him, and I talk to him. Well, Daddy, Mama, if you don't plan to do that, then what are you planning to do with that child? And do you, have, do you have a more noble answer? Do you, have, do you have a better way to raise that child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Grace for that child. Grace for that student in school. Grace for that needy church member. Deviant in some of the practice and behavior. A wrong choice made. And you're called upon to minister to that. And you're called upon to minister grace to that. And so am I. First Peter chapter 4. Verses 10 and 11. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praised and dominion forever and ever. Amen. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. That's how it's to be done. That's God's standard for what we transmit to others in whatever form of communication we find ourselves using to do that. So I want to take you into these thoughts. The first point I have here for tonight is this one. I want to answer the question, what is communication? Communication in the home. And you can apply it to the church. You can apply it to the marketplace. You certainly can do that. It's, that would be appropriate to make those applications. And I don't know what all of your particular assignments are. All of you are in homes. I know that. What is communication? Communication in the home. Well, the word communication is, is, is one of many well-known words, a series of words that come from, a, from the word common. So we start with the word common. And then we build quite a few words that are English language based upon that word common. I'm going to give you some of them tonight, not all of them. But the list might look something like this. It's from that word we get our word communion. And of course, a very, very beautiful word in the Christian faith. And we will look at that as, more as we're coming closer to the weekend. The word community comes from that same word common. The word communal. Then we have the word communicate. As well as, in, in your understanding of things, the word excommunicate. We have, of course, the word communication. And we have something in common, communication, that was lost at the Tower of Babel. There was a common way to understand. And something happened there, and that was in the word part. 
You know, there are some things that you can communicate to others no matter what the language is. If you cannot speak German or you cannot speak French, it doesn't matter. There are some things you can communicate very well. A smile is always communicated no matter what the language is. Anger is always easy to detect. You don't have to try to tell someone you're angry when you're angry. That comes out whether you're saying any words or not. And the spirit of anger is just as deadly as the expressions of it, especially in the home. There's some things we always communicate. And I said, preach always, but necessarily use words. We were getting up, uh, getting up to the ticket counter there in Costa Rica, going someplace. And it was kind of interesting because right in front of us here, there was quite a group of people, and these were all short people. They were, they were dark-haired short people. And I'm not very tall, but in a case like that, I, 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 I sensed that I was a bit bigger than they were. And they, they, one of them turned around and looked at me, and I saw they all had shirts on, polo shirts or something like that, of the same kind that most of the men and the women. I thought either they represent something. They're a team or they're who knows what they are. And the one turned around, and there was a little insignia here in the front and talked in on there about a death institute in Atlanta, Georgia. So I figured out that these people were, had been together at a deaf institute in Atlanta. That's what I figured must have been the case. But there was a mother standing there. I suppose she was because she had a child about two years old. That was a girl. I wanted to talk to this mother. But guess what? She can't hear me. And she cannot talk. So I thought I'd get started with the thing and see how it goes. So she had here on her little shirt, she had a pocket there in the front, and she had a passport in that pocket. So I was playing with her daughter, because you know anything about Latin America, you know if you want to get the heart of a mama, you take care of the interest in their child. So I was playing with her feet, her little piggy toes, and I was playing with her hands. She'd grab my, fing my finger with her hand, she'd hold on that like that. So when I thought we had this thing pretty well taken care of, and we're working our way into this thing, we we're earning our respect to be heard a little bit there, I slowly reached my hand over to her shirt and picked her passport out of her pocket. Now, that's a living pickpocket right there on the airport. And I turned it over and said, Ecuador. Yeah. She was all excited. Somebody got that figured out. That wasn't very hard. And as I visited with this mother, because now the door is open, now the hearts are connected, now you can say anything, now you have, a, you have access right in there to how she's feeling. I learned some things from that mother. I learned that that child is a perfect hearing and speaking child, does not have the defects the mother has. I learned that that child does not cry hardly ever. Because when the child cries, the mother doesn't hear it, so it doesn't help anything. So the child learns to communicate in some other way to the mother. I just enjoyed the conversation tremendously, and not a word was used. You understand that? But I would like to believe that there was some grace ministered one to another in that visit. I'm trying to give you an understanding of what communication is. And we, we earn a right to communicate. We earn a right to minister grace to a heart. We earn a right to hear the hearts of our children. We earn the right 
for a church member to feel free to share with us when things aren't going well in their lives or in their home. What is communication? Let's talk a little bit about what it is not. Communication is not taking turns talking. You know, I stand here, wait till you're done, then I'm ready to go, but you're waiting till I'm done. And when I'm done, then you start. But, but I have more to say. Would you please be quiet so I can jump in? And, and, and possibly we have enough of composure about ourselves to, to not jump in before the other person is finished. But that happens too. Have you ever observed that? That's a very common thing. But there's no communication happening when that's going on. Something else is being communicated. There's something being communicated all right, but not what we hoped it would have been. That is not communication. It is not waiting until the other person quits so that now it can be my turn. It is not trying to convince the other person that I'm right, that I'm the victor. In this exchange of words, it is not an opportunity to play lawyer, play lawyer and convince you that you can't measure up to the way I think that I understand it. That communicates something, but nothing helpful. And certainly not grace. It's certainly no way to build a home. It's no way to build a relationship with your children. But with other members on the ministerial team, it will not work. What is communication? It is a sincere attempt to understand. And one of the most important ingredients of communication is listening, to speak by listening. Until it is the appropriate time to use words. Wholesome communication uses very choice questions, not intended to trap someone or conquer someone, but questions that provide an opportunity for them to more fully express their hearts, because sometimes a question, they think about that, and, and then that, that leads them along. It leads them to the next thought. They may not have thought about it. They may not know where to go next. But a choice question, a well-chosen question, a well-framed question can help you find a way into a person's life, into their heart. You know, those of you that have assignments of authority and responsibility, and, and daddies and mothers too, and ministers, and you, there's a problem out front there, and and so you come to me and you say, uh, but, but they'll listen to what's going on, and, and uh, I was going to go to them, and I, was, I, I think I need to say something, and, and, and how should I do that? And an answer that we give sometimes to that kind of an inquiry is this. Don't go there and state what you heard. Do not go there and lay that out. Don't go over there and try to convince that person of, of what you've heard about this thing. Go there and ask a few choice questions. You know, I, I just wonder if I could ask you something. Would you know anything about a certain conversation that... That way, instead of coming at that person with a threatening, I've already, I've already got the goods on you. I, I'm, I've already three steps ahead of you. I, I've already got this thing under control. I know where I'm at. I know where I'm, I know where I'm taking this. And you communicated that already. That, 
and, and the door is shut. There's, we, we close things off just by using that method. But if sincerity and kindness would ask a few appropriate questions, so the person can well, you know, as, as I understand it, 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 was, it was something like this. And if the person then finds out, and you learned also that there was a problem there, and we do need to address that, if you found yourself communicating with each other, then you can continue that conversation. Because you were wise in the way you began it. Or hopefully, I was using wisdom the way I began it. True communication is fellowship. Fellowship on a heart level. Our Spanish Bible says communion, where your Bible says fellowship, especially in places like 1 John chapter 1. So fellowship and communion are very, very closely related words. Have you ever discovered that with some people it is possible to talk, but very difficult to have fellowship with them? Did you ever notice that? And, and, and there's no true communion then, and no true communication then, if that is the case. There's no communication if fear and anger or lack of trust is present in our interchange. The atmosphere is charged with high voltage. And it's too big a risk. To share from the heart when you feel that there's a, an agenda on the other end. Obviously, it is not safe. So good communication requires a relationship with that other person before you can start. And if that's not there, we, we beg God for the grace to cultivate that. We beg God to give us those opportunities. We beg God to help us find a worthy entrance into the heart of someone that we really should need to build, build, build a bridge and be able to visit with that person. I'd like to look at a few Bible examples of communication in the home, if, if you allow me to do that. And I'd like you to go to 2 Kings chapter 4. I'd like to see some actual examples of what we're talking about here. It is my sincere desire that we can benefit from this very elementary study. Second Kings chapter 4, verse 8. I'll read a few verses here. Just please follow along. It's an interesting story. But the thing I want you to focus on is communication in the home. I want you to notice that it happens at least three different times here. So pay attention to this. And it fell on a day that Elisha passed through Shunem where there where was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said unto her husband, that's the first thing I want you to notice. Behold, now I perceive that this is a holy man of God which passeth by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed, and a table, and a stool, and a candlestick, and it shall be when he cometh to us, that he shall turn in thither. And it fell on a day that he came thither, and he turned into the chamber and lay there. And he said unto Gehazi his servant, Call this Shittimite, and when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said unto and he said unto him, Say now unto her, Behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. What is to be done for thee? Wouldst thou be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the host? And she answered, I dwell among mine own people. And he said, What then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, Verily she hath no child, and her husband is old. 
And he said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the door. And he said, about this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, nay, my Lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thy handmaid. Of course, another language uses a different word there instead of lie. Uh, it, the, the, our language, our Bible does not accuse him of telling an untruth, but she is worried that in concern that in her anticipation and desire to have such a thing fulfilled that would not turn out to be a, a uh, that, her, that, her, that her newly aroused interest, anticipation for this would turn out to be a disappointment. And the woman conceived and bare a son at that season that Elisha had said unto her according to the time of life. When the child was growing, it fell the day that he went out to his father to the reapers. And he said unto his father, My head, my head. And he, and he said to, the, to a lad, Carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. She called unto her husband and said, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the asses, that I may run to the man of God and come again. And he said, Wherefore wilt thou go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, It shall be well. Then she settled an ass and she told, told, told him to drive on and they, they found the man of God. Uh, I'll leave that right there. An interesting home here, a childless home. Why did this promising, industrious, and very, very able woman marry such an elderly, elderly gentleman? The reason for her barrenness was him. Or was he? As is the case of some women, it was the case in this home. She was, maybe because of age, maybe because of past experience, she was a bit more capable of communicating than what her husband was. We find that she in, initiates the conversations. She did that several times. It seems like this mother is the one that had the idea. She perceived the situations. But she had the grace and the wisdom to present her plans to her husband, and she didn't do anything without his approval, without his affirmation, without their talking it over first. I think he must have liked that idea of putting a little chamber together there for the men of God and his servant when they came by there, and the next time he came it was finished already. So I'm sure that this building project was a joint effort. It was interesting that when the prophet got there, he called the Shittimite, the woman, into the chamber rather than the husband, and I'm not quite sure why that was. But notice the contentment in her response to the man of God at the end of verse 13. I dwell among my own people. The sign there at the kitchen, visible from the table where he had supper tonight, said something like this, that when there's gratitude, all of a sudden the supply is met. All of a sudden it supplies what is lacking. All of a sudden, they're sufficient. When there's gratitude, when there's contentment. 
And even though we may have thought that something may be missing with, the, with gratitude in the heart and contentment, it's satisfactory if it stays the way it is. That's an important part of communication, by the way. When a person is anxious, upset, disappointed, murmuring, bickering, discontent, it's impossible to not communicate that. There was none of that in this woman, as near as I can tell. And now the promise of a child, which seemed too, be good, too good to be true, happened just as the prophet said, and the little child was born. The little lad was growing, and evidently enjoyed being outside in the farm with daddy, and so that's where the story finds him. He's out there with the reapers, it must have been reaping time. Tells us a good bit about that home. The child wants to be with daddy. And daddy must have been very happy to have him there. And though maybe no words were being said, it just felt good to be with daddy out there in the field. And now the boy talks to his father. Daddy, it doesn't feel good. Well, what's wrong, son? My head, daddy. My head. And now the boy is sitting on his mother's lap. The father found someone, to, one, of the, one of the workers, to take him into the house to mama. He thought of mother. He thought maybe mother could do something for the child. He didn't know how serious this was. Was it an aneurysm? What, what happened here? I got a phone call yesterday with a very sad story. I, I didn't know this. I mean, I know the person it happened to, but I didn't know it happened. And you have all kinds of things happening up in the States that we don't hear about. But this man was in a neighboring city, a nearby city, with one of his children. And I don't know what they were doing. The, the person on the phone said that, but I, I, I lost that detail in the conversation on the phone. And this man says to his son, Daddy's not feeling well. So here in this case, the father said it to the son instead of the son saying it to the father. And this got intensely worse. And the father got his phone out, and, and uh, I just had a phone here a while ago, and he got his phone out, he dialed 911, found out that he was only six minutes away from the hospital, and the crew or the paramedics were on the way already to where he was, and they kept him engaged on the phone. And they soon got there, and they told this man, lie, lie down, quickly, lie down. They got him on a stretcher, put him in the ambulance. On the way to the hospital, he stopped breathing. When they got to the hospital, he was gone. And what had happened was his aorta had split open, and of course there was no way that anybody could have helped that particular problem. I don't know what happened to this boy, but it almost would seem like he had something similar to that, maybe in his head. But he had enough of time, composure, he didn't dial 911, but he went to daddy. And he said, my head, my head. And now he's on that lap of his mama and it's noon time and, and the child passed away. And that's the second death we've read about in the Bible tonight in this assembly. 
And both deaths ended the same way. They were restored. What may have transpired between the mother and the son as he sat there, we are not told that. But notice the woman again very soon is out to her husband talking with him again. I want to read verses 22 and 23 once more. She called unto her husband and said unto him, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the asses, that I may run to the man of God and come again. He said, Wherefore wilt thou go to him today? And then for some reason he did not hear about the condition of the son. It is neither new morning nor Sabbath. And she said, It shall be well. And he provided her what she needed. She had confidence in the man of God, but she went to her husband first with this request, which she had done before in this story. We see this woman has that tendency. She honors her father, her husband. He's an older gentleman, and he probably had his limitations. I'm sure that comes out in this story. But look at this industrious and very, very able and communicative and a woman with a lot of capacity, how she trusted her husband and related to him. We saw that on several occasions in that story. He did not understand all that was happening, but she was sure that it would turn out okay. I'd like to ask you a question. Where do you think she went at the end of verse 37? I didn't read that verse to you, but it's in your Bible. It says, Then she went in and fell at his feet, that's the prophet, and bowed herself to the ground and took up her son and went out. I wonder where she went. I think she took her son back out to daddy. I'd like you to go to Genesis 22, communication in the home. Husbands, wives, there's a lot to learn in that story we just read there. We start here in verse 3. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and claved the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went on to the place which God had told him of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off, and Abraham said unto his young man, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and the knife, and they went both of them together. I guess I'd like you to just pause and look at that last word I just read. Both of them together. That's a secret in communication. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son. That's the second time he said, My son. Did you notice that in your reading? God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. Read that again, right? They came to the place which God had told him of. And Abram built an altar there and laid the wood in order. And now we come to something that's a little hard for me to understand. And bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abram stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. It 
Abraham had said that before. Last time he said it, he said it to his son. Abraham was a worshiper of God. Altars were very common to this home, and Isaac probably knew that. We do not hear of Abraham making early morning plans with his son, but they traveled for three days together. Isaac had heard what his father said in verse 5. Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. He had heard that. Yet as they climbed the mount together, the lad had a question. My father, here am I, my son. Behold, the, the fire and the wood, but, but where is the lamb for burnt offering, Daddy? My son, God will provide himself a lamb for burnt offering. My father, my son. How Abraham bound the boy and laid him upon the wood, we do not know. What Isaac thought when he saw the knife in the air, we probably cannot imagine. But a very key word in the story is the word together. I'd just like you to think what's going on between that daddy and that boy. And their relationship didn't start on this three-day journey. You don't get into something this difficult and handle this kind of ease, poise, and grace if this was not the normal way relating to each other. And so we have our children around us, our sons and our daughters, my father, my son. I could turn you to more passages I think of the very, very interesting way that Boaz addressed his workers when he got to the field. There they were working, and it's, it's not easier work to do what they're doing. It's kind of dusty, I suppose. It may not have been as bad as an old gleaner thrashing machine with a bagger on the back, and you're standing on there, and uh, all that dust comes all over you, and you put those bags on there, then turn the lever one side to another so the grain fills up this one now instead of that one, take it off, tie it to the bag, put it there in the stack until you get to the corner where you slide it down the chute and put it off to the edge. And we'll pick those up with a wagon later. And though in our home we usually only took a bath on Saturday nights when that was going on, the baths came more often than that. I don't know how, how dusty and dirty this was, but can you imagine working out there in that hot sun and the owner... The patron comes out there and he says to you as you're working there, the Lord be with you. And they look at their boss, they look at the person they're working for and they say to him, and, and the Lord bless thee, the Lord bless thee. And of course, when they say that, the Lord's using them to help bless him. They're, they're taking care of a very important part of that blessing, that kind of communication. The Bible's full of that. It's a beautiful thing to see. We see the communication between Naomi in that same story and her 
two daughters-in-law, then especially with one of the daughters-in-law. And, and we see how that goes between the two of them. These are very instructive examples, but I will not take time tonight to show you one example that's very destructive. The way David related, communicated to Absalom after Absalom did that terrible, devastating thing, hurt David, disturbed the family. One of the sons was gone. Yeah, well, if he wants to come back to Judah, it's okay, but don't bring him in here. Uh, you be sure he goes to some other house, uh, but, but not here. And Absalom heard that. Absalom learned about that. Absalom knew what daddy thought. Absalom knew what daddy thought of him. And I realized it was hard for David. I realized it was a terrible sin done there. I realized it was a, that was a devastating thing for a father. But when David was crying in the presence of Joab, saying, Absalom, my son, Absalom, 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 my son, my son, he should have thought about that on this day over here. And fathers and mothers make mistakes like that. We all do. David communicated a very serious message to Absalom without words. But the son got the message. And now 50 men, and now trumpets are blowing. And now a big oak tree. And now a heavy head of hair gets caught in those branches. And now the donkey runs on and leaves him hanging there. And now three darts. Absalom, my son, my son. And David never had an opportunity to communicate to his son what he felt on that day. It was too late. If you have something beautiful, you're going to say to your son, say it tonight yet. If you think you ought to gather the family together in the living room before you all go to bed, do it tonight yet. If you're going to clear up something that's been hanging like a cloud of your home all week, do it tonight yet. If this is not the way you want to leave it, if these are not the last words you want your son to hear your daughter, if this is not the way you want to turn it off and, and shut it down, then don't go to sleep tonight until you've said something else. I know the last words that my son ever heard me hear I'm very blessed with the last words I ever heard him say most of us many of us have not had the luxury of deciding when those last words were going to be said we had no idea at that time that those were the last words, but we never spoke again. So I hope that you catch the seriousness of what we're saying here. In the future of many young men and young women is determined by the communication in the home, the attitude that we portray to our children, the spirit that they pick up from us, and the attitude that we show them that we have, that we have towards them whether we say words or not. And we should minister grace 
to all those that hear us, including our children. And I want to end with a few practical thoughts. Communication is a means of forming a bond, forming an attachment. And with that, forming trust and respect at the same time. It is an outward expression of a father's heart being turned towards his child and of the child's heart being turned towards the fathers. We have in Malachi chapter 4, verse 6. If there's a breach here, if there's a problem between me and my children, if I cannot reach the heart of my children, if I know that they're not with me, I know that they're not desired to run out to the field where I am and be with me, the first thing I would examine, Daddy, is my relationship with my wife. I would pay close attention to the way that my children see that relationship. And the words they hear when Mother and I exchange our thoughts with each other, either in the presence of the children or whether in the room we thought they were, we were by ourselves, but they picked up what was going on. They sensed that something very tense is happening in the home. If there's a problem with any of the children, I would check the relationship with Mama first before I would sign up for a counseling session somewhere. Never ridicule a child. Never condemn a child. Never shame your child before others. If your child is a bedwetter, I guess we might as well be practical, don't you think? Things seem like in such good order here in Virginia, it seems like this wouldn't be necessary to say. It's one of the most manicured places I've been in in my life. If your child's a bedwetter, it's okay, mother, if you know it. It's okay, daddy, if you know it. And of course, the child already knows it. And maybe it's hard to prevent other brothers and sisters in the family from finding out about it, especially if they are three and four years old and potty trained and everything's good, fine by early morning, but the 12-year-old has the bed wet again this morning. You be careful where you say that, where you mention that. You be careful about saying anything about that. People know more about bedwetting today than they did 75 years ago. I think most parents have by this time learned that it's not your child's fault if that happens. But the shame and ridicule and devastation that's been wrought in the lives of children because of that just one single thing has been very, very great over the years. Do not have any favorites in your home. Your child should never need to gain your favor because of his excellent performance. Your child should never need to measure up to another student, another child who's yet in your home who's very, very bright in school and get, handle things very, very well. And our oldest son began driving tractor in the farm when he was five years old. Don't expect all of your children to be out there handling the tractor at five years of age, brothers. Don't expect everyone what some of them are able to do. 
Each one of your child is valuable. Each one of your child has a contribution to make. Each one of your child is superlative in some way or another. Let each of your children shine. Let each of them make a contribution. Bless each of them for what they can do. Daddies, one of the biggest mistakes we make as daddies is we have older child, the oldest son, Eric, in one family's home. I was in that home and daddy's name, Eric. And you've learned to trust him. You, you learned that he can do anything. You learned that you, he can down to the sheep all by himself. You don't have to be in the pickup truck when he goes. But you have other boys. And they watch you and they see that you trust him. And you make plans with him. And he helps you make decisions. And they see he gets opportunities. They see what he's doing. But down, down, down there, they're the age that he was and they're not doing it. They become the hewers of wood, the drawers of water. And, the, and, the, and, the, and they get their directions from him. Instead of getting it from you. We, we, we ask God for wisdom there. I only sing a word on that because I want to make that practical. All of you daddies must do that with your boys. Your sons are sensitive to that. We're communicating to our children. We call that the second son syndrome. If you, really want, if you don't know anything about it, read about it in Luke chapter 15. The second son syndrome Dad, elder brother. Dad, elder brother. Big Hacienda, elder brother. Younger fella? Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, I'm out of here. We can do something about that in our homes. Brother Evan, it was one of the biggest mistakes that I made. I can't change it. I made it. I can't change it. I never heard anything like this when I was your age. But I'm not excusing myself. It was my mistake. Not all children have equal abilities. If your child is wrong, don't defend him before the school teacher or the school board. And when he hears you before the school board, you're defending your child and my child didn't do it wrong and I, I, we got this thing under control. But then, when you're alone with your child, you berate him and put him down because he made you look bad. Two errors instead of one. Both them um, communication. Both times communicating the wrong thing. Respect other authorities in your child's life. And yet, daddies and mamas, provide a haven for, for that child in your own home with your family. I'll tell you this story. Give you a break. We're soon done here. So it was after school, evening, it was fall of the year. And Brother Luke had come in there with his old Ford pickup uh, station wagon car. This is way, way, way back, many years ago. The car was old then, and it was, uh, that, that was many years ago this happened. And he had quite a few children to pick up. He, he had that big old station wagon because it had three seats in there, and he, did, he filled up all the children to, to take them home. And someone in the, in the schoolyard took some of those big black walnuts come out of this tree, and they rolled them down the tailpipe of Brother Luke's car. They, they just rolled those walnuts right in that tailpipe and, and stacked that pipe full of walnuts. Unfortunately, Brother Luke had shut his engine off, and now that his car is loaded, and he tries to start the engine, it does not start. One of the boys came running the schoolroom. I was still inside. I didn't know anything about this out there, and said that so-and-so, it was a sixth-grade boy, Put those walnuts in Brother Luke's car and he can't start his car. 
So we have several problems here. I can't reach in there and put the walnuts back out. But this boy that was accused was normally speaking a very well-ordered child. I, I didn't would never have expected Earl to have done such a thing. So I went out, and there was Earl standing there kind of sheepishly, and so I just asked him to come with me, and we walked over to the driver's door of the station wagon. I said, Earl, can you tell Brother Luke that you're sorry? Earl stood there and put his head down. And Brother Luke patiently waited. His window was open, but nothing came out of the boy. Earl, can you speak to Brother Luke? And nothing was said. This went on quite a while, and the children started gathering around. They wondered what's going to happen next. Another car drove in the schoolyard. I looked up, and it was Earl's mother that's just come in for her carload. And she saw us standing there, and obviously she felt something was going on. She, she walked over to where the school teacher and her son were standing, and she stood on that side of her son. And while she stood there, I briefly explained to her about the walnuts and, and what must have happened there and, and what I'm trying to do with this young man. And, and so I said one more time, after I explained that to his mother, I said, now, Earl, would you please tell your, say, say you're sorry to Brother Luke? Everything was quiet. And I heard the mother's voice talking to her son. Earl, it's okay for you to do what Brother Dale said. It's okay to do it, Earl. Go ahead and say it, Earl. I, I'm, I, I'm sorry, Brother Luke, about the walnuts in your tailpipe. Uh, who got it? Who understood? Who got it? The mother knew. And immediately I knew the boy was innocent. He had done nothing wrong. And he could not tell a lie. He didn't say it. His mother told him, it's okay to do what Brother Dale said. You may say it. And when Mother told him that, that's what he did. And what is my point here? My point is that if your child is right or wrong, if your child was bad in school or not, if your child deserves some correction, if you didn't, when it's all said and done, your home should be a haven. It should be a fortress for your children. It should be a safe place for them to go at the end of the day. It makes you know that even though I was wrong, what happens in my home will be helpful, encouraging. I trust Daddy and Mama. It's okay if they learn about it. I feel good when I'm with them. If it doesn't work anywhere else in life, it works at home. And I want that to be the experience of your daddies and mothers when your children are 50 years old. I want them to know, and all of you to know, that it's safe to call daddy. It's safe to go home. It's safe to tell the story. It's safe for them to know how it is. No matter how old your children are. I want every boy in this room, every earl in our families, to hear these words. This is my beloved son in whom I am well placed. Think about your boys tonight.
Think about your children, the communication, what we're saying to our children, what they're hearing us say. Do I have time for my children? Or are they swiping and clicking away on their cell phones while daddy's doing something else? Are they free to tell me their fears and their failures and their faults? Or do they try to hide that from me because they are afraid of what happened if I found out? Do they feel my approving and reassuring hand upon their shoulder? Or are they scared in my presence? Do they want to show me their playful imaginations, their school projects, their little accomplishments that they have? Or have I not yet earned my way into their childlike hearts? Am I too selfish to care, too important to listen, too busy to visit? Do they ever say to me, Daddy, tell me a story. Daddy, read me a story. Daddy. May I sit on your lap for a while? I can tell you so many stories, I guess I won't do that. The hour's late enough. But this is an English Bible here. I don't use one at home, I use a Spanish Bible. At home we study with a Spanish Bible. We do our Bible reading with a Spanish Bible. When I'm sitting at the desk, I have a Spanish Bible before me and so the little girl comes he crawls up in my lap. Now, it so happens that her daddy doesn't do things with computers very much. He does it by writing, so he has pens there. He has a black pen, and there's a blue pen there, and there's a red one there. In fact, if you go to the place where I wrote this sermon today, you'll find a black, a blue, and a red pen there. And so the naughty little girl picked up the red pen, and I was doing something else. I didn't see her doing it, and my Bible was open, and she started drawing her little pictures on the pages of the Bible. I looked down and see there were some red tracings and drawings on there, as this as a as a little two or three year old would do. I looked down at what she was doing, and I thought to myself, "What a trophy! What a monument for me to carry for the many years future of my life those red markings in my Bible, put there by a precious child." The Bible says there's red marks in it. And every time I read through the Bible every year and get those pages with the red in, I always think of my daughter. And it's just a wonderful thing to remember. Not everything they do is wrong. Some of it is just little red trophies that you'll carry with you 28 years later. But... Every day we're communicating in the home something to our wives, something to our children, something to our husbands, something to our neighbors. May there be grace and peace in your home. And may your children be anxious when they come home to school tomorrow to tell you one more interesting little story. Let's stand for prayer. And so we thank you, Father, that you have communicated in a beautiful way to us. 
You have proven in all kinds of ways your love and concern for us. There's nothing more you need to do in order to get our attention to the care and love and concern and interest you have in our lives. You know, God, we have children that you've given us, and we love those children, but we don't always do it the way we should. And we make mistakes sometimes. And so would you help us, O oh God, to remember that word of grace? What came out of my mouth, what came out of my expression, though I said no words at all to my children, to my wife. And we need your forgiveness of these things, Father. And we made mistakes in the church because of angry words, because of selfish words, because of feeling superior over others, because we felt we had to remind people who we were. And others were hurt and scared and turned silent. And we don't find out what's in that heart. And we cannot be of help those we should. And the door is closed. And a breach is there. And we have some re repairing to do. Oh God, we need healing in our lives. We need healing in our homes. We need healing in the church, oh God. Would you minister to us this grace of God tonight? And if there's anyone here that needs to sit down with a son or a daughter before they go to bed, oh God, don't let them go to sleep tonight. Go crawl in those covers with that scared feeling and sense of insecurity. The wrong things will come. The sexual things will be difficult to overcome if there's a breakdown between daddy and mama, in between my daddy and me. We won't do very well, oh God. Set us free from that. Give us the hearts of our children and may they have our hearts as well. Bless this evening together in this assembly, in this church tonight we pray. Your blessing upon us as we leave together under your blessing and direction. In Jesus' name, amen.